If you have your Bibles, please turn to Exodus chapter 29. Just a quick note. We encourage you to enjoy water in the sanctuary. That's, that's the word. We encourage you to enjoy water in the sanctuary. Just a reminder on that. We appreciate your support with that. Exodus chapter 29 and some of verse 30 today as we dive into God's word. We are going to cover a lot of scripture. And so for the sake of time this morning, what I would like to do is for us to stand and read um, a passage from First Peter as well. So I know I just asked you to turn to Exodus 29, but we're going to stand this morning. I'm going to read First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. So will you stand with me? You don't have to turn to First Peter. I'll read it. It's just one verse. If you can find it, great. It'd be like the Bible drill for you this morning. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you for standing in honor of it. Would you please be seated? Let's pray together. And now, O Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, would you use me as your mouthpiece, Lord, to proclaim the excellencies of the one who has called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. Would you reveal to us through your word ways that you have called us to be a royal priesthood. Lord, help us to see and understand as we study the setting apart of the priests in the Old Testament, how you have set us apart as well. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I had the great privilege as a worship pastor of going to a phenomenal conference called Sing, actually put together by the authors of the song that uh, we just heard this morning, uh, Oh Children Come, the, get, the Gettys. So uh, one of the great memories I have from that conference was hearing the introduction, uh, the debut, if you will, of Is He Worthy? The song by Andrew Peterson that we sing from time to time in the church. And in addition to just the uniqueness of the song, right, the call and response where the question is asked, you know, uh, do you feel the world is broken? And the, it's kind of like a catechism, like you, you answer back the answer. We do. We feel that. And so the song is unique in its style. The lyrics are just supremely scriptural. A lot of it comes from the book of Revelation, where the question is posed, is anyone worthy to open the scroll? And of course, the resounding answer to the song is, he is, that Jesus is worthy to open the scroll. In the middle of the song, also coming from the book of Revelation, the bridge has this really great section that talks about how he has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with his son coming from Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. And really that is, as we study this text this morning, what I want us to have on our minds is that what does it mean for us to be a kingdom of priests, to be a royal priesthood as 
Peter said, to consider as we study the setting apart, the consecration, the ordination of the priests in the Old Testament, how and in what ways does that apply to us as priests to God? Martin Luther called it the priesthood of all believers. So as we study this step by step, I'd like us to consider the priesthood of the believers today. Looking beginning in Exodus chapter 29, we see in verses 1 through 3 that God gives Moses a list of things that will need to be gathered for the priest's consecration. He writes, Moses does, of the instructions given to him, this is what you are to do for them, to consecrate them to serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two unblemished rams with unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers coated with oil. Make them out of fine wheat flour, put them in a basket, and bring them in the basket along with the bull and two rams. This was the, the supply list, okay? It's like going to school, you get a supply list. This was the supply list for the consecration of the priests. And then God makes it plain in the next verse who it is that are going to be consecrated, who will be set apart as priests. We see uh, that in verse 4. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. God commands the symbolic washing of the priests for their spiritual purification. And so we note, first of all, if you're following along in your outline, that the priests were washed. The priests were washed. I'm actually following an outline I found from Warren Wearsby, great commentator, Bible believer. I could not improve upon it. And it's, as we study through the text, you'll see how plain it is. It's just what the text says is what I'm sharing with you as the outline today. So the priests, first of all, were washed. Now, that symbolism of water for cleansing is found frequently throughout the tabernacle worship. We could look, for example, briefly at the bronze basin, to see that the priests would regularly wash their hands and their feet. So just, if you have your Bibles open, flip over to chapter 30. This is where we're going to peek around and see some other instructions that were given and some other aspects of the tabernacle. In verse 17, we read, The Lord spoke to Moses, Make a bronze basin for washing, and a bronze stand for it. Set it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it. Aaron and his sons must wash their hands and feet from the basin. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister by burning an offering to the Lord, they must wash with water so that they will not die. They must wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a permanent statute for them and Aaron and his descendants throughout their generations. So washing of the hands and the feet was a part of the regular duty of the priests. But as we read along in chapter 29, that is not the washing believed to be referred to in verse 4. A word study of this underlying Hebrew word, rahatz, in chapter 29, verse 4, shows that the sense of the word in the context was that the priests were getting a bath. They were going to be bathed completely, completely washed from head to toe. So it is that during the initial consecration ceremony, Aaron and his sons were washed all over symbolizing their complete cleansing from the Lord. We know, as we can make comparisons to uh, Jesus, the great high priest, that Jesus, according to the gospel writers, was also washed all over at his baptism. Not to be cleansed from sin, but as Jesus put it, to fulfill all righteousness, to set him apart 
as it were, for his high priestly ministry. Now, after the initial washing of the ordination of the priest, the priest didn't have to be bathed all over every time. All they had to do was cleanse their hands and feet in the bronze basin. Again, just drawing comparisons from the Old and the New Testament, you might recall that when Jesus stooped to wash the feet of the disciples, Peter wanted a bath. He said, can you just, can you cleanse, cleanse me all over? And Jesus told him, no, the person who's already been washed has no need of cleansing like that. He simply has to have his hands and his feet, his feet washed. So we get this picture of washing, the symbolic picture of cleansing. And the point, as we put all this together and we think of our own role as priests to God, we can remember that like Paul said to the Corinthians, we have already been washed. Okay, symbolized by our full immersion in baptism. So we don't need to be rebaptized by immersion every time we sin. But we do continually ask God to give us clean hands and clean feet in our ongoing sanctification, in our ongoing service to Him. So we make this understanding of being washed and being set apart for priestly ministry. Moving along in chapter 29, we see that once the priests had been bathed, they were then clothed. The priests were clothed. Verse 5 and 6 says, Take the garments and clothe Aaron with the tunic, the robe for the ephod, the ephod itself, and the breastpiece. Fasten the ephod on him with its woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and place the holy diadem on the turban. Then skip down to verses 8 and 9. We read, you must also bring Aaron's sons and clothe them with tunics. Tie the sashes on Aaron and his sons and fasten headbands on them. The priesthood is to be theirs by a permanent statute. This is the way you will ordain Aaron and his sons. And then if you skip down all the way to verses 29 and 30 in chapter 29, we read about the garments again. The holy garments that belong to Aaron are to belong to his sons after him so that they can be anointed and ordained in them. This is the original hand-me-down for those of you who have children, right? Any priest who is one of his sons and who succeeds him and enters the tent of meeting to minister in the sanctuary must wear them for seven days. Now, we won't spend much time on the priestly garments because we've already spent the last few weeks studying the garments themselves. So if you weren't here for those, you can catch up on those messages online. But today, let's simply be reminded of the fact that the garments for the priests were provided for them. They did not have to work for them. They did not have to make them themselves. The garments for the priests were for them to be robed in in the, 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 the robes that were given to them. The holy garments were not stained in any way. And I think that this points us to the fact that the garments in which we minister as priests to God are also not our own. In fact, we may think of our own so-called garments as the way Scripture tells us, that they are like filthy rags unto God. We have been given Christ's righteousness. We have been robed in garments that are not our own, in a holy righteousness from God. Like the old hymn says, we are dressed in his righteousness alone. So not only uh, were the Old Testament priests washed, they were also clothed. But thirdly, we read that the priests were anointed. We see this in verse 7. Take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. 
referring to the high priest. In verse 21, take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle them on Aaron and his garments, as well as on his sons and their garments. So he and his garments will be holy, as well as his sons and their garments. Philip Ryken explains in his commentary that anointing with oil was the uh, performative act, if you will, the, the setting apart of a man for a public office. The king, the priests, they were anointed. And in this case, Moses, he used a special blend of oil and spice prepared specifically for the occasion, a specific anointing oil recipe. Now, unlike some of the secret recipes around our church family, there are the recipe for the anointing oil is not unknown, but it is a sacred and uh, only usable for the anointing of the priest. So again, let's flip over to chapter 30 and read in verse 22 about the anointing oil itself. This is the oil that would have been used for anointing the priests. In verse 22 of chapter 30, the Lord spoke to Moses, Take for yourself the finest spices, twelve and a half pounds of liquid myrrh, half as much, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cinnamon, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cane, twelve and a half pounds of cassia by the sanctuary shekel, and a gallon of olive oil. Prepare from these a holy anointing oil, a scented blend, the work of a perfumer, it will be holy anointing oil. With it, you are to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table with all its utensils, the lampstand with its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin with its stand. Consecrate them, and they will be especially holy. Whatever touches them will be consecrated. Anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them to serve me as priests." Tell the Israelites, this will be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It must not be used for ordinary anointing on a person's body, and you must not make anything like it's using its formula. It is holy, and it must be holy to you. So anyone who blends something like it or puts some of it on an unauthorized person must be cut off from his people. Now, the anointing oil uh, is described also in Psalm 133. As we think about the priest being anointed, in Psalm 133, uh, the, the saying is the, the oil goes down Aaron's head and runs down his beard on the beard of Aaron and then onto his garments. So you look at the verse here and you get a picture of unity, the psalmist says. Now, just as a little side note, as we've studied these garments and we understand um, the, the breast piece that would have been on the ephod. Think about what would have happened if the oil did run down. They did use a lot of oil. Down the head, down the beard, where would it have gone? Onto the breast piece. And so the symbolism of unity comes when you think about what was on that breast piece. You had the gemstones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and they would have all been covered and united together in the oil that would have run down the beard and onto the priestly garments. And so the picture of unity begins to make sense as we think about the anointing of the high priest. But not only did the precious oil signify unity, it showed that the high priest was holy, that he had been set apart. God had poured out his spirit on that man. Once again, the parallel can be almost directly drawn to Jesus Christ. Christ 
is a term, a Greek term, Christos, that also means Messiah, which means the anointed one. Jesus at his baptism was not only washed, he was anointed, as it were, not by oil, but directly by the Spirit of God himself, descending on him like a dove. And we draw that parallel. You heard as Brother David was explaining the oil and the the lamp that often the oil symbolizes the work of the Holy Spirit. And so instead of the symbol, Jesus was anointed by the Spirit of God himself. And the New Testament writers, I think, understand it this way. As you look at Acts 10.38, for example, God says, it says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And so in shadows, in types, the Aaronic priesthood pointed forward to the priestly ministry of Jesus. But it also helps us understand that we too are anointed for service as priests to God having been anointed by the Holy One ourselves. That is how First John puts it in chapter 2 and verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you, have, you all have knowledge. We can also look at, for example, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and God has anointed us. He has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so every Christian is set apart for service unto God. We are washed, we're robed, we are anointed, and fourthly, we are forgiven. Like the high priests, the priests were forgiven. Outwardly, the priests would have looked pretty nice and smelled pretty nice at this point, right? Like they've gotten new robes, they've been washed, they've been robed, they've been anointed with a fragrant oil, but there was still the need for the guilt of their sin to be dealt with. There was the sacrifices that needed to be made. The first of three sacrifices listed in this ordination service, and the first one dealt with the atonement of their sins. That's found in verses 10 through 14. So go back to chapter 29. We read in verse 10. You are to bring the bull to the front of the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons must lay their hands on the bull's head. Slaughter the bull before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Take some of the bull's blood and apply it to the horns of the altar with your finger. Then pour out all the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with the fat on them, and burn them on the altar. Now, pause at verse 13 and understand that the fat represented the the best part of the animal as they understood it. They were offering the best unto God. And then verse 14, but burn the bull's flesh, its hide, its waist outside the camp. It is a sin offering. And again, we don't have time to go into all the imagery that we've kind of touched on from time to time in the messages. But this pictures the sacrifice of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross outside the uh, the gates of Jerusalem. It's the way the Hebrews writer interprets this burning of the bull's flesh outside the camp. But we come to understand as we think of the the priests laying their hands on the head of the bull and the, the substitute that was made for the bull to die in the place of the priests and for the guilt of the priests, We know, of course, that we experience a similar sort of forgiveness from Christ. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, meaning the suffering servant understood to be Jesus Christ, 
the iniquity of us all. So we have found forgiveness by the substitute of the death of the Lamb of God. The next sacrifice in the ordination ceremony involved the first of two rams. And in it, we consider how the priests were completely dedicated to God's service. They were completely dedicated to God. Verse 15, we pick up, we read, Take one ram, and Aaron and his sons are to lay their hands on the ram's head. You are to slaughter the ram, take its blood, and splatter it on all sides of the altar. Cut the ram into pieces, wash its entrails and legs, and place them with its head and its pieces on the altar. Then burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Now, in the sacrifice of a burnt offering, the animal was completely given to the Lord. It was a picture of total dedication. The high priests were expected to devote themselves wholly, that's with a W, W H O L L Y, wholly to the work of ministry. And so we too, as priests to God, must understand we are to devote ourselves wholly unto God. And in verse 19 and 20, we see that the priests were marked by the blood. They were marked by the blood. Reading in verse 19, you are to take the second ram, and Aaron and his sons must lay their hands on the ram's head. Slaughter the ram, take some of its blood, and put it on Aaron's right earlobe, on his son's right earlobes, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. Sorry for all you left-handed people out there. I don't know. Splatter the remaining blood on all sides of the altar. So with the turban on the priests, you just remember they're wearing a headpiece. That's the, kind of the first flesh that's exposed toward the top of their bottom, the top of their body. And I think the symbolism here is that from head to toe, the priests belong to God. From head to toe, they were being marked out for his service. There was a token amount of blood put on each portion of their body to serve as a reminder, if you will, that they were to listen to God's word, that they were to be about doing God's work and about walking in God's ways. And so the priests, in a sense, became, here's a symbol for you, a living sacrifice. They became a living sacrifice, which is a notion to which all Christians, priests to God, can also relate. We are set apart, marked by the blood to hear God's word, to do God's work, and to to go in God's paths. There's more that can be said, but we got to keep moving along. There's a lot of verses, so we're going to 22 to 28 and see an interesting thing that you may not have thought of. The priests were fed. The priests were fed. What we will see is that portions of the third ram, also known as the ram of ordination, were placed in Aaron and his son's hands. The word ordain literally means to fill the hand. That's what the word ordain means. They were given a portion of the sacrifice to wave before the Lord and then receive back as a portion of the sacrifice for their own food. In other words, the wave offering, as it's translated in the ESV, translated here perhaps more understandably as a presentation offering in the CSB, was not like howdy wave, it was more of a wave toward the altar and then received back. It was presented to God first, this belongs to you, and then received back from God as a portion for food for them, if that makes sense. So with that in mind, look at verse 22, and we read about the feeding of the priests. 
Take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat covering the entrails, the fatty lobe of the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, and the right thigh, since this is a ram of ordination. Take one loaf of bread, one cake of bread made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. Remember, that was the supply list. They had it prepared. They've got it on the side here. They're going to use it now. And put it all of them in the hands of Aaron and his sons and present them as a presentation offering before the Lord. Take them from their hands and burn them on the altar on the top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering to the Lord. Take a breast from the ram of Aaron's ordination and present it as a presentation offering before the Lord. That's for you, Moses. It's to be your portion, God says. Verse 27, consecrate for Aaron and his sons the breast of the presentation offering that is presented and the thigh of the contribution that is lifted up from the ram of ordination. This will belong to Aaron and his sons as a regular portion from the Israelites, for it is a contribution. The priests were fed by the continual bringing of sacrifices for the people of Israel. They were bringing in the sacrifices and the Levites were eating off of the food that was presented to God. It will be the Israelites' contribution from their fellowship sacrifices, their contribution to the Lord. And then you can skip down just a couple verses to verse 31. You are to take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. Aaron and his sons are to eat the meat of the ram and the bread that is in the basket at the entrance to the tent of meeting in the presence of God. They must eat those things by which atonement was made at the time of their ordination and consecration. An unauthorized person must not eat them, for these things are holy. If any of the meat of ordination or any of the bread is left until morning, burn what is left over. It must not be eaten because it is holy. Now we learn from this that God provided for the needs of the priests. God provided for the needs of the priests. They were to receive a portion of the sacrifice as their sustenance. Now, this is hopefully starting to kind of click in mind with you. How are we fed? How are we as priests to God being sustained by God? Well, Hebrews chapter 13 has in mind that we also eat, again, not from an altar made with hands. Look at verse, uh, chapter 13, verses 9 and 10, where the writer says, "'Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings.'" For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Now, if you remember when we talked about the bronze altar, I said that Jesus is the true and greater altar. And so we come to the altar of Jesus Christ and receive food, spiritual food, spiritual nourishment, from Christ and his sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, as priests to God, we are sustained by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself invited his followers to eat from his flesh and drink from his blood. We do this both in the communal participation of the Lord's Supper and when we daily feast on the bread of life. By hungering and thirsting after God, being nourished daily as we are fed in his holy word. Now, one final word about the feeding of the priests from a portion of the sacrifice. This will be helpful for those of you who serve regularly and, and do serve as priests to God, to minister unto him. 
Never be so engaged in priestly service that you neglect priestly eating. Don't be so involved in priestly service that you neglect being fed. Priestly eating. We are sustained by Christ as we serve as priests to God. Some people, good people, Sometimes the people that have been uh, in the church the longest, they end up finding themselves serving and serving like Martha and sometimes neglecting the greater thing, as Jesus said, of Mary. She had chosen to sit at Jesus' feet and savor him. So we are called both to service and to seeking. This is why our discipleship model, we try and make a point of the balance between seek the Lord and worship. Yes. Study God's word. Yes. Serve and share. There's a balance to the Christian life and we can get kind of out of whack sometimes. So don't get so involved in priestly service unto God that we don't take time to come and sit under the preaching of God's word and be fed. Some of you I know, you serve regularly, so regularly that I don't get to see your, the whites of your eyes and preach to you. And it's not because I'm anything special. It's because we're fed by Christ. We are fed by his word. So no, don't neglect the priestly feeding. And the chapter concludes by indicating that the consecration of the priests took place over a seven-day period. So we read this in verses 35 and following. This is what you are to do for Aaron and his sons based on all I have commanded you. Take seven days to ordain them. Sacrifice a bull as a sin offering each day for atonement. Purify the altar when you make atonement for it and anoint it in order to consecrate it. For seven days, you must make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. The altar will be especially holy. Whatever touches the altar will be consecrated. And then without taking a day off in between, the priests were put right into service, right to work, with daily offerings that were to be presented on behalf of the Israelites before the Lord. So we would say lastly about the priests, they were expected to minister daily. So do you see the balance? We should never neglect being fed from the altar, but we should be daily in the service of our king. Verse 38, this is what you are to offer regularly on the altar every day. Two year-old lambs. In the morning, offer one lamb, and at twilight, offer the other lamb. I want you just to kind of keep that little tidbit in your mind for next week when we come back and we talk about the timing of certain things and why uh, the, the incense altar and what was happening there corresponded in time to the time frame of the sacrificing of this lamb in the morning and the evening. Verse 40, with the first lamb, offer two quarts of fine flour mixed with one quart of oil from crushed olives and a drink offering of one quart of wine. You are to offer the second lamb at twilight. Offer a grain offering and a drink offering with it, like the one in the morning, as a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. This will be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak with you. Morning and evening, there was a perpetual sacrifice made to the Lord, which is a good reminder for us in our own priestly service to God that we can never take a day off. 
from serving our God. Morning and evening, we must surrender ourselves to him. Now, I confess, as I'm just reflecting and trying to preach to you, that I was thinking about how this word applied to me. I find myself regularly surrendering my mornings to the Lord. I have a very regular habit of Bible reading and prayer. Then as the day gets going on and the evening comes, oftentimes I am distracted. I could be discouraged or disappointed with the well-intended efforts of the start of the day. And so I'm preaching to myself as much as I preach to you. Let us not neglect also the evening sacrifice. Prayer and praise, confession for the day, realignment of our hearts to God's will for our priestly service to him morning and evening. We've covered a lot of scripture today. We've heard a lot of details about the ordination of the priests, right down to the very formula of the oil with which they were ordained. But hopefully, you don't miss the application. We started today with a a grid, so to speak, through which to, to hear and to see to make application for us as priests to God, that we are called to be a priesthood of believers, how the Lord has set us apart as holy unto him. He washes us clean. He robes us in Christ's righteousness. He anoints us with his Holy Spirit. He forgives us. He requires a wholehearted devotion to him, marks us out with his blood, puts us in his service day by day, morning after morning, and evening after evening. We are as Peter said, a kingdom of priests to God. But there is one last thing to observe as we conclude this chapter in the book of Exodus. We get to step back from the details of rams and bulls and sacrifices and presentation offerings and fatty lobes and anointing oil and all this to see the purpose of the tabernacle serves as a very good reminder for us this Advent season when we know that the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That word in John's Gospel, that he dwelt among us, is the word for tabernacling, that Jesus came to dwell with us. So let's read the final verses of chapter 29 and be reminded of the big picture of the tabernacle. God says, I will also meet with the Israelites there, and that place will be consecrated by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. And they will know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Brothers and sisters, the Lord saved a people to show them his glory. He delivered them to dwell with them. Each fall, each autumn now for four years in a row, 2019, 2020, 2021, 22, we have walked slowly through this magnificent book of the Bible. And today we get a reminder of why God saved a people. Why were they delivered? 
Why did they approach Sinai? Why did he give the law? Why did he give the instructions, these detailed instructions of the tabernacle? He delivered Israel to dwell with Israel, to be with them, to manifest his glory to them, the glory of his presence with them, like Pastor Allen said in the children's message today. And so John writes about Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That same word tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory. That would be what you would expect to see in a tabernacle. The glory of God. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The truer and greater tabernacle is now the only place, hear me, the only place where the people of God see the manifest glory of God on display. Jesus, John says, has made God known to us, revealing the glory of the eternal God unto us and promising by his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. So, friends, Emmanuel God with us is a marvelous truth, especially considering the great lengths that it took God to make it possible to dwell in the midst of a sinful people. Like, maybe you got a little bored today. Maybe you found it a little tedious. Maybe you found it a little excessive. What great lengths did God have to go to to display his glory to his people. God has displayed his glory most plainly to us by Jesus Christ. God has delivered us from bondage. God has saved us by his grace. He has revealed his will to us by his word, and he has sanctified us by his blood, all for the purpose of dwelling with us. All of this was prefigured in the way that God made it possible to dwell among his people in the book of Exodus and in all these details because they show us the great lengths the Father will go to set us apart, to be his people, to be a royal priesthood, to be consecrated unto him. All, hear me, for the purpose of enjoying God's presence, basking in God's glory, It was enough to make the angels shout in heaven, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. 